0: Welcome to this week's episode of Testing Peers, we're going to talk a little bit about our first inspirations and some good reads that we've got, and welcome.
1: I usually start off the witty banter, don't you Chris? Uh, Well I I, I normally start us
2: off on something, um, Trey Bizarre. Mr Random Mm -hmm. Tangent. Okay, so I've got something for you. So... I don't know if you've noticed, but there's adverts on television. Sometimes I wonder if the adverts that are showing up on Nickelodeon or Disney are really sort of appropriate for children and what is really an appropriate bit of advertising for them. And I'll tell you this, when I was in Florida, no joke, on Nickelodeon, there were adverts for how to do
1: your taxes. How is that targeted advertising? because well, they know that the parents are sat watching yes. it with their kids
2: <laughs> my kids my kids know the words to the adverts though so they could probably harp back now, have, you got, have you got any um, adverts that you can remember that are actual real favourites from, from your childhood that you can still sing like my parents used to sing the opal fruits yeah the, um,
3: mm.
2: advert the little jingle from that one and there's I, a, guy, a guy I used to work with used to sing the mbongo
1: I, I remember I don't remember the tune but I remember the dancing milk bowls. For some reason, oh, I don't remember those. But but you see, that's the subliminal because if they can play a jingle that the kids can
3: then in the back of the car sing along, mm. then the yeah. parents are constantly reminded of the company. Yeah. The, yeah. The, do, do you remember the the fruit and nut advert, where well, everyone's in fruit and nut case?
2: Yeah, everyone's <laughs> a fruit and nut case. Hunky <laughs> chunky almonds. Let the secret of the, the tango. Cutie. Tango slapping everyone in the airplane. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, tango?
0: Yeah. yeah, that way Parents must have loved that. Mm.
2: Was, but how,
3: like, oh yes, actually, yes. opal fruits were
1: made to make mouth water. Yes, they were. <laughs> I'm sorry, the it, age but,
2: now. It's, it's really it, powerful,
1: it, though, isn't it? Like that sticks with you for years. It was. It was wine gums, wasn't it? They had the, the mousse on the on the wall. Hootsman, the... there's
2: juice loose
3: bit oh, that, yeah. that was
2: Maynards. Yeah, it was. It was yours. Yeah.
3: Yeah,
1: it
2: was one of mine. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it, it, I was just thinking, like that, 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 that stuff's foundational. That's embedded in your mind. Yeah. from childhood, my kids can spew off some of the adverts, they know what it is they'll be oh it's that advert with that thing on and you, you think, oh, well, there's, there's, there's probably a way that, that actually translates to the way we started our careers and there are things that we took on that still stick with us because someone once said that thing, it might even be something really stupid like, oh I wouldn't use that tool or I wouldn't listen to that person because they're a bunch of rubbish and, and that sticks with you, but like the very first famous test I was ever sp- told about was James Bach, and so in my head I'm like, he's great, but actually I don't read any of his stuff particularly, I don't go out of my way like I'm more likely to see the people who I see more active on Twitter um, and on Slack, and so in which case I'm more likely to see what Michael Bolton says but when people say who's the first famous tester that you're aware of and not many people ask that question to be fair um, <laughs> but when they do it's it's James Bach, who's the first person I ever saw do a talk, he's the first person I ever saw on Twitter and stuff, and so that's just you know, back in my mind. I'm like, oh yeah, he was paid loads of money in a in a court case because he was a software tester. And it's the most money he ever earned because that's the first talk I ever saw. It's embedded, it's ingrained in my mind. You know, do you have any sort of specifics from your early testing days that have stuck with you?
1: So one of the first things I remember is as, as a talk as well, and it was at Agile Cambridge in 2010. James Whitaker talked about the Google testing model, I think it was. And that was like the first talk I'd seen on testing and I knew who James Whitaker was. Or actually, I didn't know who he was before that talk, but as soon as I left the talk, I went back to work. All the ones that were testers, because I was still a developer at that point and I was starting to lean towards going to testing. All the testers were like, oh, you, you, you saw James Whittaker? He, he's like he's like God level of testers. And that was, I think that was before his testing is dead talk where everyone sort of started hating him. But yeah, and, and you're right, and it was then... James Back and Michael Bolton were the ones you then hear about. I always found that, like you say, Michael Bolton's the one that's more active on social media. So you you read more of his thoughts, whereas James Back is more, you read, go and read his blogs. There's a lot of good blogs that are quite old now, but are still relevant. And he does the occasional webinar and stuff recently. I've seen him on some testing panels and stuff. But yeah, you're right. It, there is definitely. It seems to be a talk that stuck in my stuck in my head was James Whitaker's, and that's sort of what kick-started the testing for me. For me, is when I went to the first conference, the uh, Test
3: Bash in uh, Brighton. Um, I didn't really identify myself fully as a tester, or didn't realise the power of the community of testing until that time, and just the sort of new experiences, things like Lean Coffees, and just the um, again, Michael Bolton was there. He gave a keynote on that particular time, and You know, before that time, I thought uh, Michael Bolton was an 80s singer. Um, uh, Now I know.
2: Really good one, let's not forget.
3: Yeah, very good one. But, um, and also having that community and being able to speak to other testers. And the only difficulty I have and have always had is the fact that I've always worked with hardware as well in my testing career. And so, therefore, lots of the community and things have all been software related. And sometimes that isn't as relevant. everything i do because it lacks quite a big part of what i do which is also hardware
2: yeah i had that the the conversation you'd have with people is you'd say hi i'm chris i've
0: never tested web yeah (laughs) i think mine was sigist so i knew that i was a solo tester working by myself in a company that hadn't any testers before so went to sigist things down in london primarily because they were cheap they were conferences type thing but i think they were 100 something quid to go to which my company weren't too bothered paying £100 plus travel, whereas uh, some of the other conferences were £500, £600. And I remember listening to, I think it was Dr. Stuart Reid, and he was kind of the first voice, I think, within testing that I heard and saw some of the ideas from, but um, that's the name, but there was lots of other talks and things there. I think from that, it inspired me to kind of invest more time in it. It wasn't just my 9-to-5 job. It was more interesting to me. I became more interested in how I could get more involved and read more, learn more, do more. But yeah, I got him, I think, to come speak to the company, I think, where I worked. I got some of the company to go to him, et cetera, as well. So it gave me the ability to persuade others to listen, which I think was really good.
1: I think for me as well, there was a couple of voices within my company at the time that weren't well known for testing, but were actually two or three of my biggest influences in testing, full stop because they were passionate about what they did. They were very forthcoming with opinions and ideas and suggestions, and they were very good at what they did within the company, but they weren't interested in doing it outside of the company. Um, Actually, one of them spoke at Sigist a couple of times, but would never go anywhere else to do talks. It was nice to see the passion without doing the outside world things as well. How have we got here from adverts? ah the magic the magic of chris's segues
2: there's always a way my friend
3: so actually going on to a to another sort of question is what books do you feel are, are essential for people to read you see in my mind i would say that explore it is incredibly powerful and very good especially explaining exploratory testing because people have this a misconception of what exploratory testing is. So, actually, having that and getting people to read it, whether they're testers or developers or whoever, certainly can give them a much better grounding. So, I definitely recommend that book. Are there any books that you have found that give good insight to testing and that you'd
1: recommend other testers to read? Lessons Learned from Software Testing by Back, Bolton, and oh, there's two others as well. Is it Petticord and one other? I can't think it is. But yeah, that one—that was the first book I read, and actually, probably one of the few books I've read cover to cover, with lots of notes made. Yeah, that's that—that that was the one that sticks out for me, and obviously Agile Testing as well, which I still confess I've not read all the way through. I've only read bits of. The same with Explorer. I've only read a few chapters of that.
2: <laughs> it's the the um, a practical guide to testing and DevOps by Katrina Clokey. mm That's that's really good. <clears throat> Uh, I saw her speak at Test Bash twenty sixteen. David was there; he'll know. And I found her quite quite an inspiring speaker. And then I saw that she she kept on posting that she'd been working on this book, as she'd been going and like, well, I went along, had a look, and thought that's really interesting. It isn't actually just applicable to DevOps, because the sort of DevOps isn't a job; it's a a way of. Delivering and making sure that you're nice and fast to deliver. Really? You can tell me I'm totally wrong if you like. In that, I'm sure lots of people have seen Dan Ashby's lovely model with the symbol and it's saying you can test in all of these places. And all those things came to me all at the same time because I just heard DevOps and just thought, I don't know what that is, that's stupid. But the more I looked into it, I thought, oh, that's quite, quite sensible. And so there's also the DevOps handbook. There's Accelerate, much as I sort of complain about people taking accelerate as gospel radical candor was a really good one
0: i've not done the unicorn project one yet but that's one i'm certainly on my to-do list uh, the phoenix project though um obviously the precursor sort of one that's i think that's really good to read especially if you're interested in that sort of devops world and it gives a working example of it to a degree it yeah puts it into a story format which makes it very easy to believe in i guess see it yeah, but A lot of the books you talked about, I, I just agree with. I think it's the easiest way. Agile Testing, Explore It, um, Lessons Learned. I think they're all quite good ones.
1: There's one that no one else has ever mentioned and seen it online. 50 Effective Ways to Better Software Testing, I think it's called. And it's by Alf- Elfrida Dustin, I think her name is. It's quite an old book. It's about 95, 96, I think, maybe even 98. But a lot of it's still relevant, especially in companies that aren't fully agile. So I found that really useful when I was redoing the test strategy at um, my last place. I used that basic to pull the basis of the strategy together.
2: Alex Sladerbeck said that one of the things that was holding her back reading books was that she would read it and if she didn't feel like she'd taken it in, she would go back and read it until she fully understood everything. And um, someone she was talking to had just said, no, no, just read through the book, get to the end. You don't know, you won't necessarily take it in the first time you've read the book, but at least you actually get to the end of the damn book. Yes. And and probably that's what I need to do, because quite often I'll just read a few bits and then go, mm, I didn't really understand that. I'll go back and maybe, you know, you sort of catch the flow. It's like if you missed an episode of a television series, you can probably catch up. That You don't really need to worry about it these days, but if, if you Missed it when it used to be on the telly. You might you might miss a bit, but you could probably catch up and get the gist and and understand bits. Because actually,
3: that's that's the thing about these books is it's getting the theme. You know, it's doing the theme, and so actually, you may not necessarily always need to finish the book, like Simon was saying. That actually, it may be enough to just just spark something. You know, if you, if you need to refer to, back to it, you could then look in more depth. But but the fact that you're getting the gist or you know what's what sort of coming up in the book, then actually not taking it all in isn't isn't vital it's you don't need to study it because you it's not like you're going to do an exam on it it's improving your knowledge so that you can have it as a reference material because you can keep it as a physical copy
1: yeah i think i think that's part of it as well is a lot of these technical books or textbooks whatever are not set up to be read cover to cover they're set up to be used as reference points to go and look something up to read about something when you need to but I, I have the same thing with fiction books as well. I get really guilty about putting a book down or never go, or going chucking a book away that I've not finished because I don't want to read it because I'm bored of it. I'll leave it there, sat there, hoping that one day I'll decide to go back to it. And it's the same with textbooks as well. There'll be textbooks or um, sort of nonfiction books like that that I've not enjoyed at all and I don't really feel like I'm getting anything out of them, but I won't throw them away. I'll leave them there and hope that one day I'll go back to it and I've got a pile of books that I'm a third or halfway through that are all probably really good books, but maybe when I started reading them, I just didn't, wasn't feeling it. It's just, and my mind drifts. <laughs> I can sit and read a couple of pages of a book and then I want to do something else sometimes.
3: But it's the same with anything. It's, it's, it's the relevance of it. You know, if I, you know, if you read something and it isn't particularly relevant to you, then actually you, it's not going to spark your interest. And that's the same, yeah. whether it's fiction or nonfiction, you know, it needs to be relevant to you or, or there's something that you can grasp, hold on and recognize and if it's completely not in your, in your interest, then you're not necessarily going to have that spark and you're not going to be engaged in it enough in order to continue.
2: There's a feature in um, Kindle that is both brilliant and off-putting in that it shows you particular parts of books, sections of books that have been most saved or quoted. So when, if you're reading through a chapter... And then you see that bit, you think, "Oh, I must pay special attention to this." And sometimes you can be really distracted if you're like me and just think, "I'll just read that and, and forget the context of the wider page." It was like reading reading the uh, the New King James version of the Bible, and you just look at the red bits for where Jesus is talking and forget all the rest of it. <laughs> you know, you kind of you miss the wider context because you're just drawn into the underlined pieces. 137 people have have uh, saved this in their notes or quoted it or whatever. And think that is wonderful, and I'm kind of scared to turn it off because I think I'm going to just end up rushing past something that a lot of people have focused in on. But I also just want to be able to read the damn thing. But it's almost like also reading the blurb on the back of the book and thinking that, you you yes,
3: you know everything that's in the book. Oh, yeah. I'm an expert at that one.
0: <laughs> Is that not how you read books? I just thought you had to read the back cover. <laughs> <laughs>
2: or the last page. Or a review that someone's put a review on in, in, in like on Amazon. You can read it and just read. Someone's written like a really long review there and like, oh, I've got the general idea. Awesome. I'm really distracted by what other people think about things.
3: Is that why you started the testing peers?
2: No, I, I started the testing peers because I didn't have people to talk to about this sort of thing. I was in a position where potentially I could have just said whatever I think and I wouldn't necessarily have been challenged on those things. And I wasn't getting the enrichment necessarily of other people's perspective i wasn't getting the challenge of other people because i'm more than happy for you guys to tell me that i'm stupid or i'm wrong or i should consider different things in fact i invite it because that means that I'm not going to get complacent. That means I'm not going to just think, oh, I get this. I understand everything now. Clearly, I read a book about Agile release trains, so I am an expert on Agile release trains. You might go, oh, have you thought about this? What book did you read? You know, all those sorts of things come through. You can be heavily influenced by one particular book or one particular speaker. But if you don't sort of challenge those sorts of perspectives then you know you're just taking somebody else's word as gospel why is that any better than your opinion it's better to have a well reasoned argument i think that's important we've talked on conferences
3: and people influential influential people in testing and also books today and sometimes you can get drawn into one person's thought process and think yes this is going to change my world this is this is absolutely the holy grail that is going to absolutely change the way that we do business and actually sometimes you need to take a step back and go right that was their situation ours is entirely different we need to think of it in a different way we can use concepts and ideas from them but let's not just try and copy their world because it just is unlikely to work you've just
0: hit what i was gonna call the spotify model out there because <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what many many companies did the spotify model go oh this is something that someone talked about here and therefore let's copy it and even the people that said and sold it were saying don't copy it but everyone did and it became very very popular
1: and i've had that exact buzz <laughs> when you've come away from a conference I, I came away from test bash in 2015 after richard bradshaw's talk on automation in testing where i felt rather than talking about test automation as this separate thing, it's automation to assist testing. I felt I could go back and, you know, that made so much sense that I could go back and it would just be natural to put that in place, in a workplace, and you get back to the office and no one gives a damn. <laughs> no no one else cares what what you learn at a conference especially when it doesn't relate to their day job day to day when you're talking about no we're not going to do test automation as a test test framework with lots of test cases we're going to build tools that are going to assist our testing like why that, that doesn't work in our place let's just carry on the way we're doing it and you get that high literally plummet because everything that you thought was absolutely amazing and you you were completely sold there was a new way of working it just falls completely on deaf ears when you get back and It's the same with books. As you say, you you learn someone else's context. You think, that sounds amazing. We're going to do that absolutely exactly as they've done it in our workplace. And then you get back to work and you realize that your work is not their work. And actually, to do a small part of that in your workplace would be a big achievement because for whatever reason, there's lots of red tape or there's lots of old-fashioned mindsets that don't want to change or... There's a lot of things that that need to be resolved. And obviously, the success story of of what you've just listened to or read, you're seeing the fruits of that labor because it's the the end result, the success. Whereas actually, there may have been years before that, where they were chipping away at stuff, chipping away at stuff to get things moving. And you've you've seen the end result and thought, yeah, I need that. I need it now. And it doesn't happen.
2: That happens when you change your job as well, doesn't it? Because you, it you might have said something that worked brilliantly where you were before. Yeah. and you go to a new company and go, that's fine, I've done this before. Here's my copy and paste strategy. Or here's, here's, here's the workshop I did in my old place that worked brilliantly with these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it might not do. And and the, the point also about hearing the voices of people saying these successful things, like I saw Christian Carlet um, from Spotify twice, and both times he taught Spotify model and these glorious, wonderful things but the, that's the importance of hearing different voices at conferences, hearing different voices in blogs and, and, uh, and podcasts like great new people free. Um, it's because different people have different experiences, even in the same industry, even in the same company. Like when I worked with David, we were in different teams and we had a totally different experience of what agile looked like within our company. Um, and even approaches to automation were totally different. You know, it, 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 it's all about context and you need to hear these new voices, but we also need to not only hear people's successes, but their journeys to them, which include the failures, the, the pitfalls where they stumbled and, and it, even where people have admitted that this wasn't right for me. I needed to let someone else do it.
1: Thank you everyone for listening to this episode of The Testing Pierce. If you have any inspirations, books, people that you want to share as to how it's inspired you and your testing journey then please reach out either at, on our twitter at, at testing Piers, or leave a comment on our blog or email us at contact at testingpeers.com. we have now got a patreon site up and running so if you wish to support us to help us improve the equipment improve the podcast experience for all you amazing listeners then go to patreon.com testingpeers and see what you can do thank you again for listening and we look forward to you listening to us next time for now it's goodbye from the testing peers goodbye Goodbye.